Good morning. Great to see everybody. A few of you back from Florida. It's great to see you back. Um, first of all, I want to thank you. We asked you for quite a few weeks in a row to invite for Easter, a time when people that don't usually go to church might come to church. And between the three services, we had 713 people. And so that, that's really, it's really cool. And just terrific job uh, on your behalf. And uh, as we take those steps or as we help people uh, introduce them to this idea of hope that Christ has for us, um, I want to continue working on this idea of hope and really talk about the, the back story. Um, <clears throat> so hope that delivers is fantastic. Hope that dis disappoints, not so great. Uh, this will tell you a little bit about, about my age, but um, back in the early 90s, I bought my first real computer. Like this one was supposed to really work. I actually waited to buy one because I was like, eh, I don't know. They look pretty complicated to me. Not sure that they can do everything they promised. So we waited, we waited, we waited. Finally, uh, all right, we're going to buy our first one. It cost $1,600. And uh, back then, to me, where I was, might as well cost $16,000. Like it's like... We spent a ton of money on this thing. The printer cost $250, right? So I'm going to be able to do all of my notes on this. I'm going to be able to interact. Um, I don't think they had email at that point. Oh, they might have had like the dial-up thing at that point. Um, and uh, all this stuff, I'm going to be able to keep track of financial things. It's going to change my life. I just couldn't get the computer to talk to the printer. And I couldn't get the printer to talk to the computer. And you guys are like, what? No, that's real easy. Back in the 90s, it was not easy. It was so frustrating. You know what I got out of that computer? <laughs> Nothing. It was hope they'd promised me these things. Now, those of you who are computer geeks, you're like, oh, no, it could have. You're right, it could have. If I had quit my job and just worked on that computer to figure out how to make that thing work to be able to happen. This week, somebody came, uh, Patricia and I, were, we were working on something, and she goes, hey, can I use the printer, a uh, couple of documents for something? I said, yeah, sure. Um, plus, when we print things out for outreach, you're going to be able to, need to be able to do that. I said, uh, just pull out your phone. She pulls out her phone. I said, good, put in uh, this so you can jump on the internet. And do you recognize your, our printer? Oh, my goodness, it just popped up there. Good, print the document. Now, that's the way it was supposed to work. That's what they promised me. But the hope didn't, didn't deliver. And one of the things that I'm, I'm it's, it's in the back of my mind quite often, it's in my heart quite often, is I love Skyline, I love what we do, and this is the, the basic path that we follow. We invite people to come to Skyline who don't go to church. And so we do things in the community, to try to make touches in their lives. You go and you're at work with somebody and you're interacting with them and, and they're talking about life and you're like, hey man, you, you need to come to Skyline. You just need to come. To, oh, I don't go to church. I'm done with that church stuff. And you're like, no, it's different. It's different. You need to come to Skyline. And you trust me that when you walk through the door, I'm not going to start going amen this and amen that. I'm not going to go do something crazy. I'm going to talk in a way that the person you invited will understand what I'm talking about. And then as I'm talking about it, I introduce them to what the Bible says and some principles about what the Bible says. And I go, look, just try this principle. 
Just take this home and try it. They take it home and they try it. And as that goes on, I'm like, look, you can trust the Bible. It works. And I want to introduce you to Jesus, who is the author of the Bible, who is the core person in this journey. And then you invite Jesus into your life, and you're amazed. Because when you do that, any area of your life that you trust Jesus for, you find it makes a difference. Now, all of us on our journey find that Jesus makes a difference, and for some reason we go, yeah, I'm going to do it the other way for a while, and you know, our lives are like that, right? But that's the experience. There's a danger, especially in our generation, because our generation believes we're the smartest generation ever. We came up with computers. We know more than any other generation. We've got the greatest ideas. Throw out all the old ideas, and here we go. There's a danger that you buy into a hope and not understand the backstory. I also made some other purchases when I was younger. I paid $500 for a set of encyclopedias. <laughs> yeah, now you're like, what's an encyclopedia? It's Wikipedia in a book. It's, right? You know what I got? I got four books that were an overview of something. Never used any of them. I spent $500 on this program for uh, film. You uh, take the pictures and then you send in the old film and they send you new film. Used about $50 worth of that. That was something that was promised to me that if I'd have known the backstory, I never would have taken that step. There's another reverse to that. That's that you've invited Jesus into your life. And then you're going to hit things you don't understand. And because you don't know the backstory, you think the Jesus thing was just something you went through, something you tried out. You, you can end up seeing the Jesus idea as just one idea of many. And so today is really a classroom day. Today uh, is not a, a usual message, usual message. I work through something and then we come to the end and I try to go boom and grab a hold of your hearts and have you make a decision or, or, or in, in, interact that in some way. That, that's not today. Today's classroom. It's a backstory. It's this, the next two weeks are tied together. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach and when we run out of time, I'm going to go, okay, we're out of time. And then I'm going to walk off. I'll probably pray, but then I'm going to walk off, right? I just want you to know what's coming. And so this information is important. It's important. You may not see how it's important until next week or a couple weeks from now. But it's really important. You need to know and understand the backstory. The Bible is God's word. We believe that the Bible is not just something man came up with, but it's actually God's word, that he has talked to hum humanity through the Bible. It's how he talks to us. It's the foundation of truth. And so we're going to go back to what the Bible says about the beginning of man. This is what makes the Bible really special. In a lot of religions, um, some guy group of guys sat down, they wrote out the religion. They wrote it out, wrote it out, and maybe it adapts over time, but they, this basically came from this one idea of, of this one person. 
The Bible is like no other, no other book in history. The Bible has 66 books in it by 40 different authors over 1,500 years. Now, the United States is only 200 years old. This book was written, like the guy who began the beginning of the Bible, not only he did not even know the guy who, who writes the last book of the Bible, it's generations and generations and generations between these people. But the Bible tells one story. It's what makes the Bible a miracle. The Bible itself is a miracle. For that many people over that course of time to tell one story, and for thousands of years, people have been trying to prove you can't trust the Bible. It's been tr trying to prove it's just a religious book. They've been trying to prove, oh, there's a little mistake here. This doesn't agree with this there. Those are very, very, very small things compared to understanding that, wow, how could this guy right here make this prophecy and it come true here? How could this guy write this principle and lay out this principle here and then you see it come true or see it played out here? How does that happen? It happens because it's actually God's word. God directed this. And so what we're going to do is we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. I'm going to begin to lay out these principles that lead up to what's this idea of a blood sacrifice? Why did Jesus have to sh shed his blood? What's the power or the idea behind the fact that he shed his blood and that he died and then he rose again? What does that have to do with all of humanity? Because I want you to understand, this is not, Jesus does not ask you to believe in something you cannot see in terms of the history and the facts. He doesn't ask you to believe in something that's not historically accurate. When Jesus came on to the face of the earth, he didn't say, okay, I want you to believe in someone who does not exist. He was here. It was that I want you to believe I am Jehovah. I am God himself. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning and the beginning of mankind. And uh, uh, we're calling it the backstory to Easter. At the beginning of mankind, uh, then the Lord God, the Bible says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The story of the Bible is the story of life and death. It's the story of life and death. It's the story of the gap. It's, it's the story of, wait a minute, I thought... Life was to exist, and then when you died, you didn't exist anymore. That's not the story at all. The Bible doesn't define life that way. Into his nostrils, the breath of life. God breathed the breath of life. Not only did he do that into human beings, he didn't do that in animals. He created animals, but the breath of life is born into you. And the man became a living being. Then the, Lord took the, then the Lord took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. This piece is super important. He gave man authority on earth. And when God gives authority and you blow it, he doesn't take it back. When God gives authority and you blow it, he doesn't take it back. 
It's very important that you don't see this story and the truth of this story as the really big God, ooh, little tiny baby man. Really big God, ooh, little tiny baby man. Now, you don't give a one-year-old responsibility. If you don't, you shouldn't have responsibility. I mean, if you do, you shouldn't have responsibility. You don't tell a one-year-old, okay, I'm going to leave you here. You take care of these things. I'm going to leave you here. You be safe. You never do that, do you? You build fences around that one-year-old. You do not give a one-year-old responsibility. This is important. Yes, it's a really big God. And then there's a man created in God's image. He gives that man responsibility to rule the world. That's what creation was. That's the story. That's how it started. To cultivate it and keep it. The Lord commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. So he's garden, all of this. You've got life here. You get to experience life. And while he was experiencing this life, there was no gap in his life. There was no difference between the way Adam thought he should be and who he should have been. There was no difference between the way Adam acted and the way Adam should act. He never experienced that emptiness. He never experienced the gap. He, he never needed to fill it with something else. There was no gap. He was alive. He was full of joy and peace and hope. He was alive. The Bible even says that he and God walked Every night, they would walk through the garden, hang out together. It was awesome. He said, but this one tree, don't eat of that tree. Before we move to the next one, it's important to know, he gave this command to Adam before Eve was created. Adam either passed it on to Eve or God restated it, but he gave this command to Adam. So ladies, this is not your fault. This is not your fault. You want to know I'm so hard on men? The responsibility was not given to her. You're a chauvinist. I'm going all the way back to the beginning. It was given to us, men. The serpent said to the woman, so then a serpent comes along. The woman's hanging out by the tree and comes along and says, the servant said to the woman, you surely will not die. Direct against God's word. Surely you will not die. Now, listen, you need to know this about God. He's cheating you. You need to know this about God. Sure, sure, you got it good here now. Yeah, yeah, you got it here good. But you don't, hey man, you don't know what it's like over here. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. There was a little bit of truth to this, knowing good and evil. Adam and Eve knew good. That's what they knew. They knew good. Every day was a good day. How you doing? Good, great. Only they didn't have a gap, right? I come to you, how you doing? Great. Liar. It's a gap. Why? Because I'm doing great over here, but i got 15 things over here, and I'm not where I'm supposed to be. You've all experienced this. 
Some of you, you're hooked on cigarettes. Remember the day somebody said, hey, man, you don't know what this is like. This is awesome. You're missing out. 30 years later, I know what it's like now. I can't get rid of it. It's horrible. I know what it's like now. I don't know if high school's the same way it was when I was a kid, but when I was a kid, that, that was it, man. It was like, look, we need to go try all these things. The old saying was, hey, can't knock it till you try it. The truth is, once you try it, it's going to knock the snot out of you. Right? It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. We live in a culture that decries the, the, the torture of opioids but then calls them recreational drugs. What is that? It's this. It's this. You got, you got to try this. You're right. You don't know what this is like. No, what you don't know is the devastation of that decision. You don't know the devastation. And in that process, what you're saying is, or what they, what they then said was, I don't need God in my world. God is cheating me. There's a goodness to be found someplace else. And so he died. You're like, no, he didn't die. He was still there. Death. This is very important, guys. You, you kind of intuitively know this, but you need to be told it over and over again. Death has nothing to do with the fact that your body ceases to exist. Death has everything to do with humility and pride. You see, to be alive is to be humble. There's a whole bunch of different lists, and we're going to talk about this next week. But I just picked up these two words. Death is pride. You experience this every day of your life. When you raise your children with humility... You're going to set them up to succeed. You raise your kids with pride, death. What do you mean? I don't understand what happened. I don't understand what happened. What do you mean? You were angry. You were, it, they never knew what to expect. You looked at parenting as if they were your child. You will not talk to me that way. I'm your father. Act like a father. Humility is life. Pride is death. Marriage? Amazing what can happen in a marriage between two humble people. Life can happen. Amazing what can happen between two proud people. Death. That's why young people say, I'm never getting married. They've watched the death in their own homes. This this issue in life, this issue in humanity, it's a life and death issue. But it's not, do I get to keep going, 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 going? God has given us authority. We said, God, we don't want you to be the author. Or, I don't want you to have authority in my life. You're cheating me. There's something better out there someplace. Now, This is the ex explanation of mankind. 
This is big. What do you mean? I mean, this explains why man lives the way they do. It explains why the world is the way the world is. There's another piece to this. As God interacts with Adam and Cain and Abel, after they've taken this step, to Adam he said, because you listened to your wife, to your, to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food all the days of your life. None of you are farmers, so the last part you're like, what are you talking about? It's shop right. It's not that hard. It's hard. It's hard. And you know that in your life, it's hard. Why does it have to be so hard? Because it's cursed. So people are like, oh, it's God's earth. God's in control of everything. Why does God let bad things happen? No, no, no. No. God gave us the authority. And we said, God, we don't want you to be the authority. We'll run this world our way. So suffering is caused by two things. Suffering is caused by two things. It's caused by man and natural disasters. That's what causes suffering. It's caused by man because men are dead. They live a dead life. This, this, the actual number goes up and down a little bit, but it's in the 95% area. Some say 100%. Did you know that 95% of all hunger is caused by man? It's not caused by natural disasters. Did you know there's plenty of food in the world to feed everyone in the world? It's just that some men have created governments whereby we're not going to let those people have that food or we're going to control that food. That's where hunger happens in our world. And there's just natural disasters. This has nothing to do with the message. It's just an amazing thing to watch in our culture. The other thing is that people live in places where there's a hurricane every three years, right? You live where it's coming. It's going to wipe out your house. But why do hurricanes and earthquakes and those things happen? Because the earth is cursed. That's where suffering comes from. We're in charge. And in charge, there's death and there's the curse. Next, we are introduced to the first offering. It says, uh, Abel, on his part, uh, Adam had two sons, Cain and Abel. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. This is when the first time that you see that someone takes what's best that they have, which is an animal, a sheep, in Abel's case. And he kills the animal. And he butchers the animal. He puts it on the offering. And it is burned to worship God. Either one of atonement or one of some type of worship or thanksgiving. It's the first time you see it. Now this is, this is part of the, do you believe in a God you created? Or do you believe in a God who created you? Because you live in a world where basically the only animals you interact with are pets and insects. You just basically only know pets. But that's a fairly new thing. For most of time, animals were either food and valuable, part of your values, valuables, or 
they were your enemy. In other words, they were going to eat you if you didn't eat them. And as this happens, sometimes we go, oh, man, I, especially if somebody puts it on a video just right. Because you didn't grow up with that. You haven't watched that happen your whole life. The food you eat, how many have ever watched the food you eat be butchered? Live. Not very many of you, right? This, this is kind of a out of our comfort zone type of thing. That's only because you live in a very insulated world. It's only because you live in a really insulated world. It doesn't change the truth that this idea of sacrifice has been a part of humanity and their interaction with God for all of mankind. It's an important piece for all of mankind. Then there's an interaction with Noah. So uh, I think you know the story of Noah. The whole world had become so evil. So the death had so prevailed. God had come and warned people over and over again. They didn't want to hear it. I don't, God, we don't want you to be the authority in our lives. We don't need you to be the authority in our lives. Death was winning, winning. And God says, okay, we're going to have to wipe this out. And so he found one person, Noah, who wanted to listen to God and wanted God to be the authority in his life. And, and so he said, okay, we're going to wipe out everybody else. Noah works on this ship for 600 years. No, he lived to be sick. He, lived, he worked on the ship a long time. <laughs> Crazy long time. All the animals come into, into the ship, wipes out the earth. Ah, that can't be true. Be careful. Be careful. Archaeologically, historically, be careful. Because you're tempted to believe in a God that you've created instead of a God who created you. But we're not here to interact with that today. He then, when he gets off and God says, okay, moving forward, he gives an interesting command that has something to do with the end of the story. He says, but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. Lifeblood. The Bible presents this idea that life is in the blood. That life is in the blood. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. In other words, if you spill someone else's lifeblood, you're going to have to pay for it. Oh, here's this idea of justice. If, if you break the law, you have to pay for breaking the law. I will demand an accounting for every animal, and from each human being, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. He goes on, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. We, we hit this last week. Why is the life of the person sitting next to you so valuable? Why is the person across the room so valuable? Why is the person who is around the world so valuable? Because you've decided so? No. You may not know this principle yet, but, you, but it's absolutely true. Just because you think something is valuable does not make it valuable. 
Just because mankind has decided together that something is valuable does not make it valuable. Unless you worship a God you've created. But if you worship a God who's created you, then life is valuable because it has the image of God in it. Our country has been for a long time and and continues to be in this huge war about abortion. If this is true, the abortion thing's pretty easy. Why? Because your life is not more valuable than the baby within you. It's created the image of God. It doesn't really have to do with us. It has to do with whether or not the baby is valuable. Do we worship a God that we've created, or do we worship a God who's created us? Then, so from the time of Noah until the time of Abraham, God's interacting with mankind, and, and he's, he's really given them very few commands, but he's interacting with, with mankind. And then he comes along, and he, he doesn't actually make the decision at this time, but he acts on the decision at this time that he is going to choose one man. Out of that man, he is going to give him land. He's going to give him seed, which means he's going to make him into a nation, and he's going to give him blessing, where he's going to bless the whole world. Now, there's nothing particular special about this person. Matter of fact, his name's Abraham. Abraham did not believe in the God of creation when this happened. He believed in many gods, and God came to him. And, and he makes him these promises. Land, which is the present-day Israel. How often do you see Israel in the news? A lot, Right? Israel is not as big as New Jersey. Why is the whole world focused on that little tiny piece of land? Because thousands of years ago, God said, you see that little piece of land? Abraham, that's going to be your land. And I'm going to make you into a nation. And he did. It's the nation of Israel. Much of the Old Testament is the story of Abraham and his descendants. There's one very, very special person who came from those descendants. His name is Jesus. It's one story. It's not a bunch of people with a bunch of different ideas. It's one story. And he said, you're going to bless the world. It's an amazing thought that when God made that promise to Abraham, that the love that my wife and I share and the way that we love each other is the promise fulfilled that he gave to Abraham. That Jesus has so changed my life and continues to change my life. I could come out in the audience, I could... Bring a few of you up, bring a few, tell me your story. And when you tell your story, you were going to tell the story of how there was death in your life and you chose to put your hope in Jesus Christ and he's really changed you from the inside out. And 
God's promise to Abraham is being fulfilled right in front of our eyes. It's one story. And in this particular case, after he's promised this to Abraham, it goes years and years and years. Abraham never has any children. And, one, and God comes back to him and, and says, nope, I'm, I'm going to keep the promise. And Abraham, how could this possibly be? And uh, I don't have any children. And he, says, he takes him back outside again. He says, you see the stars of the sky? That's how many children you have. And Abraham at that moment believes the word of God. It's identical this faith that he asked him to do, it's identical to what Jesus comes to you personally and says, hey, believe in me. Believe my word. Believe who I am. Same exact experience. He believed him. He has a son. His name is Isaac. Isaac's beginning to grow up to be a young man, and as he does, God comes to him and says, okay, I want to take your son. I want you to take your son. I want you to go and sacrifice him on an idol. Whoa! I'm not going to believe in that God. I'm not believing in that God. Okay. You can believe in the God you create, or you can believe in the God who created you. And it doesn't look good. Abraham, I think this is especially cruel, Abraham has his son collect the wood. He carries the wood up to the altar. He puts it on the altar. Son says, where's the, where's the sacrifice? Abraham says, you're the sacrifice. Get up on here. And he's about to kill him when God says this. God says, he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. That was Isaac. Do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your one and only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. In between this, Abraham goes, then what, what's the sacrifice? How, how are we going to sacrifice? What? What are we going to do for a sacrifice? How am I going to interact with you, God? What are we going to do for the sacrifice? And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Here's a picture. God provides the sacrifice. We've got this gap in our lives. We keep trying to fill that gap. We keep trying to fill that gap. We keep trying to fill that gap. Even after we hear about Jesus, we keep trying to fill that gap. For some of you, you've trusted Jesus, but on your day-to-day -day life, you just keep trying to fill that gap with something else, someone else. Because I need to do something to fill the gap. God provides the sacrifice. He provides the offering. It's this picture of what's going to happen in the future. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. We're out of time. Lord Jesus, this story is amazing. I'm so humbled. by the fact that you've invited us to be a part of history. Eternity. That you didn't, you didn't leave us alone. You didn't leave us with no direction and no letter to tell us who you are and how we can fill the gap. 
Lord, I thank you that this is not a one-hit wonder. This is not a great presentation or a great party that you invite us to, but then there's no, there's nothing to back it up. I thank you that from the creation of man, from the very beginning, you had a plan for us. Lord, as we sing, I want to sing to a God who created me. I want to lay down all the gods I've created. Thank you that we can do just such a thing. In your name we pray, amen.